Welcome to the ninth episode of the Counterpunch Podcast, a weekly Cracked Rackets production. Alongside my co-host, Archit Suresh, I'm Richard Mai, and we're here to break down, analyze, and yes, sometimes argue about the biggest college and pro tennis headlines. Today is going to be a bit less on the college side, a lot more on the pro side, because we've got a lot to talk about. Archit, how you doing? I am doing phenomenal, Richard. We have successfully made it through 50% of the just slam season calendar yeah yeah the slam calendar yeah sure. i guess that's what you call it when the season doesn't really stop through the year but it is what it is but two majors down two to go time to recap the second one preview the lead up to the third one season's going by fast well let's start off with the men's side why don't we uh novak djokovic with slam number 23 ties the open era record for most singles titles male or female ties serena williams at 23 is one off of the all-time record uh tying margaret court at 24 and he just recently said that he wants to win as many slams as possible there's so much to go over with novak um starting with i don't know where do we want to start this this run alone let's start there um, really, really impressive. Uh, he's back at world number one. Archie, your thoughts on Novak's run? I don't know. What can I say that hasn't been said before about Djokovic already? Statistically, I felt that he was already the, uh, the goat, the greatest of all time, whatever you want to call it. I just, I feel like they're now like, you, if you're going by the numbers, you have to make the case that Djokovic is by far and away the most accomplished male player of all time. What he's done has been incredibly special, especially from that, I don't know, that 2011 to 2023 stretch. But even after turning 30, the way he's aged, the ability he's shown to adapt and continue to reinvent himself in ways that make him successful on court is just phenomenal. I mean, to be as physically fit as he is at 36 years old is something unforeseen. I don't know how many people we can point to um, that have stayed in such good physical condition um, at an age where most players in their career have retired. Um, So to see Novak, you know, win this title with such dominance yeah. Um, I mean, Djokovic has redefined what we consider elite athleticism to be on the ATP tour over the pa- over the span of the past decade. And for a few years, there were people who've been able to match him with it. Like Medvedev's matched him somewhat recently. Andy Murray, probably the one who's matched him the most consistently over a time period. But look at where that's gotten him. It literally broke his body trying to be at the level of physicality that Djokovic was at for so long. So it's a credit to Novak for what he's been able to do over this span of time. So to quote, to quote another Andy, Andy Roddick, first he takes your legs, then he takes your soul. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, it's, it's okay. It's, it's really badly ironic in the case of that semifinal, um, when, when it, I believe, if I was saying, didn't Andy like tweet that again? First, he takes your legs, and then like a few minutes later, Alcaraz started cramping. Yeah. Um, if I'm being honest, I think Alcaraz was the only person that could have stopped him, and uh, and it's unfortunate how he went. There yeah. is nobody else in this draw that could have stopped Novak Djokovic. Yeah. Um, which is inc- insane to say the fact that we're talking about this guy at 36 years old and we're saying, oh, yeah, like he's just better than everyone else. <laughs> like, no, the thing is, it's the unreal. Way that, if I'm being honest, the way that I look at it, there's so many people that can beat him. But I think you also need to look at the circumstance. This is a grand slam. This is best of five sets. And players that on any typical day in a basic three setter, I could say this guy could beat Novak. When you put it in this endurance, you know, situation, which makes the statement that he's 36 even more absurd. He out indoors 20, 25 year olds like it's nothing like a great example is Holger Runa. Like you look at what happened in was it Rome? Um, I believe. Yeah. 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 Uh, Where Rune beat Djokovic. And Rune has the ability to beat Djokovic. We saw it. But in an elongated form, you know, where you have to play over the course of a best of five sets, I don't think that 
many players, I would say, except for Alcaraz or Medvedev, can, you know, match that level of endurance, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, there's certainly a point to it. And we even saw it in the final with Rude, where it was like, well, I guess that was more of a quality thing than a quantity thing. But the fact of the matter is Djokovic peaks for slams, whether it be physically or Absolutely. mentally and just game wise, like he's able to perform his best when it matters most at the slams. And he's made it very clear that that's what he's prioritizing at this stage of his, at this stage of his career. And rightfully so it's clearly working for him. I believe he's won, I think 15 of the last 18, 18. majors that he's participated in. Again, yep. he hasn't participated in all of them. There have been a lot of circumstances that we won't really get into now, but there have been a lot of circumstances that Out he hasn't been able to Out of the last 18 that he and that he was entered into, 15 he lifted the yeah. trophy, which is And one of insanity. them and one of them was a default, I believe. Like, yeah. Uh, absolutely and said one of them's a default and then i think two others are losses to nadal at the french open i think um and i mean obviously that's that's let's be real that's that's rafa the french that's a given yeah, but that's gonna happen it, yeah um which is like an insane run of dominance from Djokovic. like he's by far and away the best player in the world right now i mean i'm sure alcaraz has something to say about that given that for much of this year, we've been talking about him as the best player in the world. So, you know, recency bias aside. Yeah. Quarterfinal at last year's French Open. Uh, U.S. Open final 2021. That's when he lost to Medvedev. Ah. Um, 2020 French Open final. Um, it says fourth round at the U.S. Open, both 2019 and 2020. Yeah. I maybe they're maybe they're throwing out the completed matches because he like withdrew from well he was kicked out of the U.S. Open I don't know in 2020. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, but still, just in general, the main point here is dominance, um, and that's I think what has best defined his career over the last few years. Um, I think. Uh, when you can look at a player and you can't find a weakness, that's how you know it's it's bad. You know, good for them, bad for everybody else, and that's how in my. But opinion, I think even when you're looking, looking at, at it Carlos like and that, Novak. But I think even when you're looking at it like that, there's been an evolution that we've seen from Djokovic over the span of his career. Because like when he started out, he played you know second fiddle to Federer and Nadal. He was seen as there was that little span in like 28 to 2010 where he had won a major, but he hadn't really, he, and he was getting to the latter stages of other events, but he kind of just wasn't there physically and mentally. And then 2011 to 2016 happens where he's just completely revitalized himself, changed himself into something new, become a dominant wrecking ball sort of player. Who's just manhandled Federer and Nadal for a good four years and then there's this newest stage, which I would probably call post-2018-2019, where maybe he's not as physical as he once was, but everything is so technically proficient and so mentally resilient that he's able to just last through all of these events and is still so, so much better than everyone else on tour. Yeah, um, one thing that I've been kind of thinking about recently, and it's been a question that I've been trying to kind of understand, um, over the last few years, I'm finding it difficult to find, and I'm going to give credit where it's due, this was something that was brought up by um, a friend of mine, my coworker. Um, does Novak have his quote-unquote other guy? Because... You have to look, I think, okay, think of it as like the guy that is always challenging him, that's nipping at his heels consistently. Um, you know, Pete had Andre, Roger had Rafa, Rafa had Novak. Um, Novak also had Roger, yeah, yeah. And even the guy at, that at, nips at his heels that makes every single tournament just frustrating. You know, you look at, you know, even it, it dates back. I mean, just these big rivalries, you know, uh, Bjorn Borg had John McEnroe. Um, you know, it, it keeps going back and back. And there's so many names that we could throw out there. 
Um, and I feel like the greats have always had this guy that always nips at his heels. And I feel like now we're finally getting it with Carlos. And like as of yeah. 2021, I feel like we're finally getting it with with Medvedev, where it's slowly we're getting to a point where Medvedev is starting to nip at those heels. But it just feels like we're missing that kind of like somebody that can and will consistently piss him off. And I yeah. feel like we've waited and waited and we're finally getting it with Carlos. Well, I, we've certainly had it with Rafa for many, many, many years. But I would argue that maybe it's not even the fact that, oh, these guys like piss him off or something like that. But I think it's more just he relishes the challenge of being able to beat these guys who are all 10 years younger than him. And I think that's the storyline yeah. we're looking at for the rest of this year and probably for another year or two is Djokovic versus the field. Right. And I think he's really going to enjoy that challenge of looking down at everyone who's like 10 plus years younger than him. Maybe Alcaraz gets to his level pretty soon. Maybe he's already there and he just physically couldn't handle it yet. But I, I just feel like Djokovic, that's what's going to keep his career alive for the next couple of years is that he's going to have that motivation of still saying, I am part of this new generation and I can still beat them and I'm still the top guy. Well, let's revisit the conversation from the emergency pod because now it's a little bit different because now he has reached 23. The two main questions of calendar slam and where does, like, what's the ceiling? You know, how far in the grand slam number can he go? How far can his statistics go? Yeah. Um, Realistically. Let's start, let's start with, yeah. Let's start with those statistics. Yeah. Realistically, it felt like years ago that even getting to this number that he's at right now, like getting to 23 back then would have just felt so unrealistic. And I like the fact that all three of the big three are above 20 is something of itself. But g given that Novak yeah, is I mean, at 23 pistol, plus and pistol still Pete, looks like, yeah. yeah. Pistol Pete retired, retired like at 14 and everybody was like, no, there, no one's touching that. Then exactly. Roger hit then, 20, then Rafa hit 21, then yeah. Novak hit 22, and it just keeps going. Yeah. Well, Pete Sampras hit 14 in 2001. In 2009, Federer had 15. Yeah. The decade wasn't even over yet, and one guy <laughs> had already passed it. Nadal's already equaled it with the number of French Opens that he has. Yeah. And then Djokovic is all like... You know, there there are a couple of things that I think Djokovic still wants to chase by the end of his career. I think one of those is equaling Federer's number of eight Wimbledon titles, which I think he has a really good shot of doing this year. I think the other one is all-time titles. I think he would at least like to get to 100, maybe even past Federer. I think Federer's at 103 right now. And then I think he wants to be a part of that club maybe for shoot sure. For Jimmy Connors' record of 109. That that one still feels like a bit of a stretch. But I think um, the two things that come to my mind in terms of what Novak wants to achieve before he retires, um, I'm going to leave the one that I think is the most important for him for last. For starters, I think that he wants to be standing alone at the top with the most Grand Slams, male or female, all time. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's not going to stop until he hits 25. He's right yeah. there at tying Margaret Court at 24. I think he wants 25 to stand alone as the, you know, in terms of slam numbers, great of greats. But I think yeah. the and one once, that and is once the again, most important for him. Once again, sorry, I, yeah. don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but I no, do feel it. like it's important to voice that, listen, some of those Margaret Court slams don't actually count. Like, we need to voice that. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. All time. It that's why we're, the we're also era, preceding was, open like, era. They weren't yeah. Yeah, they weren't competitive events. Djokovic and Serena already have more slams than Margaret Court. But this is to remove the asterisk that so many people place yes. on those graphics that you see. If Djokovic can get to 24 and above, then that just like it just erases all doubt from the question. So. I think that there are a few standalones that I don't think Novak will achieve, which I think is the most slam titles overall, which I believe is either Martina or Serena. When you include doubles and singles, yeah. I know Martina Navratilova has the absolute boatload of doubles titles. Um, in addition to her, I believe eighteen <laughs> singles titles, which is yeah, still nuts. crazy. But I think the one that is the most important for Novak, and he has his shot next year, 
it is that elusive Olympic yeah. gold medal. That is something. I mean, he was broken when he lost that uh, bronze medal match to Delpo back in yeah. 16 or 12. Oh, uh, um, well, he never lost the. No, he lost. Well, I think he lost, he the, lost, he lost the, bronze the bronze medal match. match yeah, I forgot to, to Delpo in 12. Was it Delpo, Delpo in 12? 12? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and then he also lost. Well, he lost to Murray in the semifinals in 12, and then he lost to yes. Delpo again in Rio in the first round in 16. This is the elusive thing that Novak has been chasing for so long. And we know how much he loves his home country of Serbia, and he has spoken multiple times on how much it would mean to him and how much it matters to him to bring home a gold for his country. I think that that is what's going to keep pushing him. He has his shot next year at, you know, completing it. It's eluded him so many times. I think like that is genuinely what we're waiting, what he's waiting for. I think that's from my view, in my opinion, probably what's more, what's going to be most important for him. Um, I don't yeah, know. I think that gold medal is really what he wants. And when Zverev won it last year, I think he was just broken. <laughs> or sorry, yeah. not last year, last time round. Which, which did he, was that semifinals for him? Um. Yeah, he lost to Zverev in the semifinals. Yeah. And then he lost in the bronze, did he win the bronze medal match? No, no he no, lost he it didn't to, medal. he lost to Carreño Busta. Carreño Busta, thank you. I knew it was a Spaniard. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, and that really has been what has been missing from Djokovic's resume all these years. And I know it's something he really, really wants, given how much like how much patriotism is in his blood. He loves playing for Serbia. He, he I, I, th- I really think that he would trade this slam title for an Olympic gold. Like I think he would t- trade twenty three. Yeah, I mean, not to say that he can't do both, but I do <laughs> want to bring up one little interesting nugget. If he manages to win the next Olympics in Paris on Chatrier. Think about the fact that every, like however much we say, Oh, RG is Rafa's house. The French open is where Rafa lives. He's won 14 titles there. He's the guy. Think about how much it would mean to Djokovic to be as like a final, just like statement of intent and him being like, I know I'm the best player in the world. I'm the best player of all time. Like it's me. If he is able to win on Rafa's court, win that Olympic gold, and then the number that we're all talking about, 23, him finally breaking the record and being first in the Grand Slam race for the first time in his career, he does that on the French Open court. You know, the, he could... He could. There, There is a world where, let's say he loses the U.S. Open and Wimbledon. Let's say that that world happens. And then he wins Australia. He could... Pass the all-time record and win a gold medal on the same court in a span of a few months. Exactly. And that is the all-time FU to all of the critics. Genuinely. That is the biggest, like, like slap in the face he could give them. Exactly. And um, forget all of that. He's, He's now the only guy to have beaten Rafa there multiple times. He has won, I think, I think the 2021 French Open was when he cemented himself as the first guy to win two of every slam. No, so, uh, no, three of every slam. No, no, but tw- in 2021, now it's three yeah, of now every it's slam, three of but in slam. 2021, it was two of every slam. So yep. literally every, sig- like every significant or did Rafa have two in of recent every years, slam? yeah. Rafa does now because he won it in Australia. That's which right. Ironically, is Novak's right. sport. Yeah. So, I the parallels let are me, incredible. Let me let me ask here, the but. question: How important do we think it is if Novak can last another four years up to twenty twenty eight? How much do you think it matters oh for God. him to tie Andy Murray's only man to win two golds? In let's not get a, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Like he hasn't even won <laughs> one we'll, yet. We'll what are we revisit doing? the he conversation never... in 2028 yeah. when if he's still playing. <laughs> yeah, no. Let's yeah. Let's 40 not. year old 41 year old Novak Djokovic wins second gold medal. I mean, who knows? No, I um, yeah, I think I think we can But worry I think his sights are very later. I think his sights are very heavily set on Paris 2024. Um 
this title, I think, will do so much to his confidence um, in terms of him being able to do it, right? And I think yeah. that this also brings in a lot of confidence for Iga Swiatek, who, if you're ready to, I'm ready to transition over to the women's tor- uh, to the women's uh, tournament. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Iga, let's 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 go through some numbers here, because um, obviously I'm. The numbers guy when it's her, when it comes to Iga Swiatek. Um All right. 3 out of the last 4 French Open titles uh have gone her way. Uh in her 3 title runs, she has dropped two sets of last year fourth round Kinwen Zheng. Um ironically, we've been talking about her a lot in the last few weeks. Uh big mm-hmm. rising star on the tour. And then Karolina Mohova in the final this year. Uh, and also, Iga has just snapped a 16-year streak. It's the first time in 16 years that a woman has defended the women's singles title at the French Open. Last time was a three-peat from 05-06-07 by the great Justine Anen. Um, since then, it's just been A, a bunch of new faces, and then B, um, a four-year span where Maria and Serena just kept trading them off. Um, What do do we take out of... If I'm being honest, I watched the entire women's final, and being real, Iga did not play phenomenal. This was not the Iga that we were used to. And it wasn't for the semifinal, it wasn't for the final. Um, There's a big thing, the big part of her game that she lost... In the second set against Bia Hadid Maya, um, that she regained in the tiebreak, and then that she lost in the second set against Mohova, um, after Mohova started that incredible comeback, that she regained in the third set. And that is her confidence. A lot of Iga's game is reliant on her confidence and her ability to take those risks. When she's confident, she plays more loose, more whippy. You can see it by her body language. She's not tense. Like, she was in those occasions that I said that she lost it. When she was losing it, she it's because, like, you could see her body was tensed up. Uh, you could see that she wasn't playing her game. And I think half of her game is that ground strokes. The other half that did not let up at any single point was her movement. And I think Mohova's game is so, so good, and it's so, so refreshing. It's so much reliant on slice and drop shot and tricks and making her opponents run, which works great against Sabalenka because Sabalenka's game is not movement. It's power. It's, you know, she... Not to say that she's not a great mover. Not to say she's not a good mover, but her game is more reliant on power and hitting winners and really striking the ball. Whereas Iga's game, I think half of it is her movement. I think Iga's the best mover on the women's tour. And unfortunately, the whole strategy of I'm going to push my opponent back with deep shots into the baseline and then pull them up for a drop shot doesn't work against someone that is as quick as Iga. Um, I think Mahova played a phenomenal tournament um, between her match against Sakari, the quarterfinal against Pavlochenkova, the semi against Sabalenka just constantly proving why she is such a force to be reckoned with. I just think this was not the right opponent per se for her to get that first slam. And I mean, I think Iga, this is becoming her house. When it comes to the women's tour, we talk about Rafa and Philippe Chatrier being his court. We talk about Novak and Rod Laver being his court. I think this is becoming Iga's court for the women. And three out of the last four French Opens, that is a Rafa-like stat. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's downright dominant is what it is. It's really, really something special because the fact of the matter is she's reached four slams at the age of 22. And there's four and no in slam finals. Exactly. Like the fact that she's winning these slams when she's not even playing her best tennis is remarkable and... It just feels like there's still some more gears for her to get to, which just doesn't feel right to me. Like, it it should not be this easy to be this accomplished at such a young age. But the trajectory that she's on is certainly one of, like, 
is, is certainly one of the careers that we project for all time great status. Like, yeah, that's was, already, that was my next yeah. question. Was this is way too early? But do we think that she could go up there in terms of stat lines, in terms of being one of the greats? By well, the end there's of her, a, she's super young. Yeah, well, there's a running joke here at Cracked Rackets that we like to say that someone is, quote-unquote, not eliminated from the GOAT conversation yet. Right now, Iga Swiatek definitely not rem- def- like not, not even, even close, close to being <laughs> removed from the GOAT conversation. Like, she's firmly in the camp of, it's a possibility. So, whether that means she's going to keep doing what she's doing at this rate, I'd like to see it. It'd be really, really cool. But... I, it's, it's phenomenal. I do want to point out yeah. a couple things, though. When we're we're looking at Mukova, like this clearly wasn't a surprise to a lot of people because everyone knew that she was capable of playing like this. Well, let me rephrase that. Obviously, she knew that. Obviously, it was surprising that she had gotten there, but none of us were surprised that she had this level of talent. We've seen it from her before. We know that she's capable of this. I even said that she was a dark horse in our RG preview before this, but I just, I feel like now the number one question is, can she stay healthy? And if she does stay healthy, she's got a shot at every single slam title because isn't this what we saw from Ash Barty? Like the variety that she's able to bring yeah. to the court confuses the heck out of a lot of players. Her ability as a ball striker, as a mover, as a just just a talent. Like she's she was so, born to hit a tennis ball. She's such like, an all-round player because sometimes we talk about these players that are much more of like the trick shot type. And I'm gonna refer to two in specific, Shay Su Wei and Agarodwanska. And when you look at these players, with all due respect to everything that they have achieved, I mean Shay Su Wei just won the freaking doubles title at the French. They are not typed as power players. Because their game is so much more reliant on tricks and tennis IQ and playing smart over playing hard. And it's really nice because you're seeing a player like Machova that has those same tools and those same weapons, the touch, the feel, the con- the ball control that she has. But like you said, she still has such a great ability to strike the ball heavily. And when her and when she hits ground strokes, they still have a lot of power and a lot of oomph behind them. It is like reminiscent of an Ash Barty. And I think that's super exciting because we, I feel like we lost so much when she retired. We lost so much potential and it's really fun that we get to watch someone that has a similar type game, even though it's her Mm -hmm. own style, a similar type game, um, reaching these heights again. I I think with both Anshjabur and Mukova, we, I think we might be able to just like just scrape together enough to soak up what (laughs) Ash Barty left behind. So, it's really great that the both of them are still on yeah. tour and just completely like rejuvenated. Like th- that's the best word that I can think of with Mukova. Like if she's healthy, she's going to be a factor at these slams. It's just a question of, can yeah. she stay healthy? And then the other thing that I wanted to bring up is we've seen this level of success, like from arena Sabalenka. The fact of the matter is like she was one win away from a second slam final this year and she's already won a title that, like, and potentially being for, the world number one. Exactly. She's got her first grand slam title under her belt. So I think it was so important for Iga to be able to reestablish her dominance, especially on the clay. Like I think she would have been the favorite if she got into a final with Sabalenka. I still would have liked to see it, but it's just like, this is, I think it's just important to note that the WTA tour still runs through Iga. 100% runs through Iga on clay. On faster surfaces, when Iga's not at her best, and one of Sabalenka, Rabakina, these power tennis players who just have phenomenal ball striking abilities and can hit Iga off of the court. With those players, they can give her a real run for her money. And right now, it's a big three on the WTA. They're the three best players right now. I just I just can't shake the feeling that the tour runs through Iga and if she's at her best, nobody else is winning. It's just a question of how can she sustain her best on these other surfaces, especially as we head into the grass season. I also think another reason why this title was so important for Iga, let's let's think back to I mean, for starters, I have to mention it. 
Matt Championship Point was heartbreaking. Like, even, like, the biggest Iga fans, you didn't want to see her win a title off of a double fault. That's heartbreaking to both to both sides, especially for Machova. That's the worst way to lose a match. Yeah. I mean, I don't with really that think it's said, particularly heartbreaking for Iga because, you know, you still want to slam. But Yeah. Yeah. With that said, when you look at the emotion that came out of Iga and you look at where she was 12 months ago and the pressure that was put on her to repeat that this year, this title was huge. This is the most this is the most important thing on her calendar all year. Screw Rome, Madrid, whatever. This was the must-have title to make sure that she still felt confident in her ability to play at such a high level. She's super young and she's still working through those emotions. Um you could see how much like she valued uh in her celebrations her sports psychologist. Um, Daria and, and you know how much work they do day in day out to keep her mentally fit and ready you could tell how much this meant because from where she was last year to where she was this year it's so tough to repeat what she did last year that's a once in a career type thing like even Serena didn't do it as many times as like people would have expected anyone to do after doing it once mm-hmm. and so I think this was really important for her mental stability, her, you know, confidence in her own game. And now she heads into the grass season. One of, I mean, hands down the most difficult transition where last year she faltered. It didn't work. She didn't play any tournaments in between, went straight to Wimbledon, won one match, and then Elise Cornet, here comes the seed killer and just ruined it. And it's a funny kind of situation because lest we remember Iga Sviantek is a Wimbledon junior champion she won this in the girls singles like department we know that she can play on grass I feel like it's a preparation thing it's a mental thing and I think that this is going to be a huge factor as opposed to had she had lost this title um it's going to be a huge factor heading into the grass swing well I do I do think a couple of things about the grass that'll make it easier this year is that she's not riding that unbelievable win streak that she was on less pressure. So I think, I think there's just less pressure on her to keep that going. I also feel like, you know, at least it coordinates just a really tough draw. Yeah. In the second round, forget it. Also, I think we all circled that one going into it as a potential slow burner. Iga's a slow burner. She takes those first rounds to get acclimatized and get, you know, really into herself and that's yeah. why I think she is 4-0 in slam finals, because when she gets to that point, she's already warmed and ready and she understands what she's dealing with, the, you know, all of the, you know, environment surrounding her. She gets it and she's ready for it. Yeah. And I think well, that's a huge thing. Yeah. But I, I do also want to say that it could be, it, it could still be really tricky for her because... I think previously when we mentioned that, oh, she's a Wimbledon junior champion, I think she's even said this herself, is that she was just better than the players that she played at that time. Like, she was just flat out better than them. It didn't matter that the surface was grass or anything like that. She was just fundamentally and structurally a better tennis player than everyone she played against in that run. So I feel like now where she's... There's, like... The matchup things that she gets, like the benefits that she gets from clay matchups against the top players are very different from the benefits that she gets on grass. Like yeah. she doesn't have time on her forehand. She doesn't have that extra ability to just like loop, like push people back with heavy top spin and play the way that she wants to play and grind out these points and just be like a better yeah. aggressive baseliner than everyone else is on tour. There are people who can just hit her off the court. And we've seen it on fast surfaces throughout this year. So Rebecca. I do think she needs to be... Yeah, exactly. I mean, Rebecca like, is a great is a former Wimbledon champion. I think... Well, what's Defending, so, sorry. Yeah. Not what's so great about Rabakina's game when it comes to this grass court swing is... You talked about Iga's heavy topspin. Um, I mean, what's really weird is that Iga's forehand, she prefers to her backhand. But on grass, her backhand is way more effective because it's a lot more... It's a lot flatter. When you look at Rabakina's game, Rabakina on both the forehand and backhand side hits so flat. 
it just skids on that grass. And you saw it last year at Wimbledon. The way that she just dismantled Anjabur in that final, her game just works so beautifully with the grass, which is why I think the hard court is so much fun because it works for both Iga's game and Rabakina's game. Yeah. And it makes it so interesting on who's And then you just... throw in a Sabalenka and it's exactly. just, it's, it's pure chaos because you don't know who's going to win at what stage. So I really think it's going to be a fascinating battle to see how the three of them kind of navigate through this grass court season. Rabakina as a defending champion, Sabalenka certainly playing Wimbledon again, playing Wimbledon again after not being able to play it last year, given what happened in Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine. But if I can say one thing about what Iga has to do, it is very simple in my opinion. She needs a first serve. She needs a good, effective, consistent, flat, please, flat first serve. There was a match earlier... Um, I believe some, I think it was either at the beginning of Roland Garros or one of those 1000s preceding it, where my dad found this stat. She made 28% of her first serves in. That is, that is not how, how many first serve points she won. That's how many first serves she hit that went in. 28%. Yeah, let's that's let's not, let that's that sizzle not cut for it a second. On the grass. That, the, okay, it, it will work on Clay just because her second serve. It is really slicey, regardless of whether she kicks it or she slices it, it's really effective on clay. But like you just said, it is not going to cut it on grass. And she and she just has the weapons from the ground to be able to back it up. That's not going to cut it on grass where player like the name of the game is first strike tennis. And players are looking for a way to pin her back with depth and unrelenting pace and just force her into errors or even just hit her off the court with clean winners. Like that's not going to cut it. She needs to be able to play first strike tennis and impose herself on her yeah. opponent. And the other thing matches. that doesn't work here is that Iga's game is very much so aggressive baseliner. And if she wanted to try something else that works on grass, how about serve and volley? But guess what? Her net skills are not enough to a point where she can make that a consistent game decision. Like, her net game is not perfect it's not bad it's it's good enough to work on the pro tour but it's not enough to make that a consistent game decision where that is her go-to choice you look at there's one male player that comes to mind immediately when i think of the grass court season and that's maxime cressy and it's because his <laughs> serve and volley game is great he's a serve and volleyer and that's why he sees success on grass but let's be like it just works so well on grass taking time away cutting balls short she can make it work, but her volleys need to get better. Just in general, it just all comes down to that first serve. It needs to be more consistent. It needs to be more effective. It needs to be flat. Um, that's why I think Rabakin is such a heavy favorite and will always be a heavy favorite when it comes to Wimbledon. Just her game fits the grass so so well. Such a like a strong, consistent first serve, uh, very flat ground strokes. It just works. There's no other way to describe it. It just works. Yeah. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. Like, uh, to me, Rabakina and Sabalenka, I would even argue that Sabalenka could be considered the favorite considering the success she's had on grass previously, but I'm still going to lean Rabakina as the favorite given that she's the defending champion. But it'll be interesting definitely to see how Wimbledon goes for the top seeds. Do you want to move on to the men? It's my opinion to see, there's two people in particular as well, Anja Burr, who made the final last year. And her game is so versatile. It she can. What's so much fun about her is that she can adapt her game to whatever surface she's on. She's seen success on every single surface. Made the. I mean, she was quarterfinals this year at the French. Last year, she made two finals in a row in Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. Her game, she just does so well at adapting it to whatever surface she needs to. And then the other one is Bia Hadad Maya, who has also seen success on the grass. Um, I think her biggest title came last year at Nottingham um which unfortunately she lost in the first round of to Daria Schneeger but that's besides the point um but she can she can certainly play on she can play on grass on clay anything and it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch her adapt as well after making a a great quarterfinal semi-final run excuse me at the French um what she can do going into Wimbledon 
I think it's super important just that they play the tournaments. I mean, Iga's playing Bad Homburg, which is more than she did last year. Uh, last year, yeah. she didn't play any grass court tournaments before Wimbledon. Yeah. Um, it's important, regardless win or lose, just to get the practice in on the surface, um, to get acclimatized to it. Especially, like, playing in those European ones where the climate is a lot more um, similar as well. So, right. should I we think... move on to the men? Yeah. Right. Um, well, Novak Djokovic is winning. Novak, thanks. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> Novak, yeah. thanks. Nice. Um, next. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, it intrigues me a lot how Alcaraz is going to do. It does. Yeah. Um, just because... Um, he's another one of those, I think he can play on any surface. Um, he plays well on clay. He plays great on the hard court as evidenced by last year's U S open. Um, it's going to be super fun to watch what he can do on the grass, because I think that's the one surface where he's not fully proven himself. If any, well, he really hasn't had the opportunity to, I think last year's Wimbledon was the only time we even saw him play on grass on in his pro career. So, I, I, he's he's already like Iga. He's playing queens this year, so already more than he did last year. But I, and I think also last year he had some lingering knee issues. Did he not? It was knee or elbow that he had to something pull like out that of, where he wasn't at a hundred percent. Yeah, he had to pull out of the lead ups, and he came into Wimbledon and was just a little. I think it might have been elbow or something. Yeah, because I remember him wearing the sleeve at Wimbledon, but. It'll just be really interesting. I do think there are certain questions that come up with Alcaraz's game on grass. Like the pace absorption, I don't know if that's there, especially on the forehand where there's less time to kind of wind up and really hit through the ball. We saw him kind of struggle against... I mean, Sinner in general is just a pretty tough matchup for him, but on grass, it's amplified because of Sinner's ability to pin him back with the power of off both wings and the aggressive returns that Sinner was able to hit in that round of 16 clash. Like... Sinner's ability to really make Alcaraz feel rushed, we've only seen one other guy be able to do that, and it's Djokovic. Unfortunately for Alcaraz, those are two guys that he'll probably feel like he has to go through to really do something on the grass court this season. So we'll see how he fares. I'm interested to see if just giving him more time on the surface where he's actually healthy, although the health is actually a concern again. But... I, we'll see is my verdict on Carlos Alcaraz, but who else I'm, do you I'm think has a bullish, shot yeah. at that Wimbledon title? Um, if not Novak, say some extraneous circumstance happens. Um, who's a player, you know, a real factor. Could you say Medvedev? Is yeah. That, well, I yeah. think that was the name that to me probably is the most, I guess, likely to up to upset Djokovic. I don't really think, it's going to happen, but given Medvedev's ability, we've seen him have success before on fast, slow-bouncing surfaces, and that's what grass is. I just, I do think that he can get exploited by guys like Hubi Hercoc, for example. I was going to say his Kyrgios, name. I was going to say that name. <laughs> that was the name yeah. I was going to go to. Like, he can get exploited because of the fact that, especially if he's going to be returning from deep again on the grass, which by all indications... It seems like he's going to be doing that. So I'm going to say, yeah, maybe not to win everything, but I think Hubi Harkatch needs to be within conversation yeah, yeah. because we know that the grass fits his game definitely much better yeah. than the clay does. He hits much think, more flat yeah. than other uh, players on the ATP tour. And he's just going to, he's just going to come in and just make people uncomfortable and his serve, he has, he's serving well. He's just going to beat everyone that he Big plays serve, against. flat ground strokes, good net ability. So if you do pull him in up to net, he's going to be yeah. able to adapt to it. Yeah, and he's going to want to come in often on his own terms too, which is not much you can say about a guy like Medvedev or really most guys on the current ATP Tour on grass. So that'll be interesting. I bet Matteo Berrettini really wishes he was healthy right now, um, but he's not, so I can't really in good faith put him up there as a I'm not even... I I, I can't even begin with Berrettini just because I I watched... He played, I think, a few days ago. Yeah, he's lost to Sonego at Stuttgart. His, I mean, obviously, Lorenzo Sonego, great player in his own right. Phenomenal player. With that said, Baratine just doesn't have a backhand. I can't... Well, he doesn't I have a backhand, and he... The fact of the matter is... Like, he that doesn't have a backhand. 
Yeah. Well, he doesn't have a backhand. He was still able to get to the Wimbledon final two years ago without a backhand. The only problem is he's not healthy, so nothing else is working either. So, like, I like unless he proves something in the lead-up to Wimbledon beforehand, I don't see him as a yeah. real, like, major contending threat yet. Um, I, I need Nick Kyrgios back. I Nick I need Nick back. Well, he tournament. also just he also just didn't look that great, and I think he's rushed himself back again because he's really yeah. really focused on doing well at the grass court season. Because obviously he feels like it's his best chance to do something major. Yeah, and but, I hate to be and I hate to be regular schmegular, but I need to go back to the three guys that made last year's quarterfinals: um, Yannick Sinner, Cam Norrie, Taylor Fritz. Yeah, not necessarily going to say yeah. Christian Green um, or David or David Goffin. But those three, because their form is still good, really excited to see Sinner back. Um, yeah. Cam I'm, Nori. I, I, I've seen Sinner you know. play a couple of his matches this year. He looked really comfortable moving on the grass. He looked really comfortable doing it last year. Let's not forget, he was two sets to love up on yeah. Djokovic. I, I really don't think he was close to winning that match, but he was still he got closer than anyone else did. So I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how... Also, in front of the home crowd... It's going to be such a big also factor. I think um, Cam Norrie's another oh, one of those Cam guys, Nori, yeah. especially for someone who played college tennis. Um, the home crowd atmosphere is something that I feel like he really feeds off of. Um, yeah. And then Taylor Fritz, after seeing what he did against Rafa last year, we know that he has the ability to go, you know, as far as he can. Um, so hopefully he'll do something big there. I mean, his game also works very well on grass. Um, he knows how to adapt. It all works. Again, I I, 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 I kind of feel like this feels really dumb of me to put this name out there, but just say it. he has a shot. He has a shot of going deep. It's Andy Murray. Like, Oh, I thought you were re- going to say, <laughs> I had, a, I had a fun little name that I was going to say just for jokes. Who are you going to say? Uh, I was going to say Tim Van Reitevin. <laughs> <laughs> because even, why not man yeah, yeah. why not he made the fourth round last year why not <laughs> okay whatever you say richard but i i now feel much better about saying andy murray no but Thank you're you. no but i 100 um, agree listen like he's won the serpentine title like he's he's played on he's been on grass for he a long won time one now. of his gold medals about, like on can this his court. body hold up for these best of five set matches and that's like, the big can worry, he I obtain think. a seating before Wimbledon. That's really all it is. Forget like, seeding. I think the bigger thing is what you said beforehand is can his body last? Because we're talking about these endurance matches and we know he can. We know he can because he has. Um, but there's so many questions surrounding his health and his, um, you know, physical condition. Um, we talked so much about yeah. well, uh, I think endurance he, I think and he lasting certain, five sets. Yeah. Can he is the big question. Well, I think he definitely proved that he can and like last through five setters like he did and through multiple five setters in Australia. Like he clearly proved that he his body is up for it. It's just like he needs to stop getting in these marathon five set matches at the start of tournaments before he can really give himself a shot at going deep. Cause I think he really feels like he missed out on an opportunity, especially given how wide open his quarter was in Melbourne. I think he missed out on an opportunity to actually go deep. So it'll be interesting to see how he does at Wimbledon this year. I think, I think it actually, I think he actually has a shot for once. I think it all uh, depends on his draw, honestly. And that's what it, it always I just, come down yeah, to. Yeah. Like is, but I mean, if like he can secure year, a seating, like if he can, I like. I mean, last year he got to the final of Stuttgart, and then he got injured, and then didn't get a proper run up, yeah. so he missed out on a seating. If he can stay healthy through the entire grass court season, and that's a big if. If he can stay healthy, he can do well at. I think he's playing Queens, and then potentially Eastburn if he doesn't do well at Queens. Right now, he's playing a challenger this week. It's either I think it's Nottingham, but. What I think it, you it, look at, you know, his draw last year, and when it comes to the top seeds in his. Uh, in his quarter of the draw, it was tough. Like he, he got had he, sinner he had in, so tough. It was it was the sinner Alcaraz quarter. Yeah, but and with that he said, he couldn't even get there because terms, John Isner served him off the court. That's what I was gonna say. In terms of your smaller seed that you could have, because the thing is, if you look at where he was, he co- he totally could have gotten sinner in the second round or Alcaraz in the second round. He got John Isner in the second round, which is, if I'm being real, not bad. I know John yeah. Isner, big serve, obviously, like you said, served off the court, 
But still, if you're giving me my pick of like lower seeds to play against, John Isner is high up on that list because he's on his way out. You but here's like, my sure is can conserve here, him yeah. off the court, but Andy Murray can hit him off the court. Uh I mean, Murray doesn't really point, have the power to hit anybody point, off the court at this stage in his career. Well, but yeah, but, he, but I mean, his John abil- Isner is also on his way out. Yeah, but Mur- is- Isner will always have his serve. I think Murray's yeah. maneuverability to be able to just force people into mistakes and just like just outwit everybody else on a grass court, like I think he can still do that. It's just a matter of is he physically fit enough to do it. But here's my thing. If he can secure a seating, that round two John Isner match doesn't happen. True. Like the earliest he can face a seed is round three then. And again, it all just depends. Like Granted, it will likely a be a high seed. But yeah. I mean, that's what's yeah. going to happen unless you are the high seed. Um, yeah, like, <laughs> like you have to at some point if you and if you beat a high seed like he did against Matteo Berrettini in Australia, if you beat one, you assume their position in the draw. So then like. You know, you get that seed's path. And so it could be a lot easier from there. He's going to have to beat someone anyways to really do something. I think I think realistically what we're likely to see for Murray at Wimbledon this year is not really a big run. But I think we get an upset and it'll probably take a lot out of him. But then he'll, he might, you know, fade a little bit as the tournament progresses. But besides that, any last remarks... That we need to get Nothing out here. Me. Heading into the grass season. Uh, the most difficult transition on the tour. We're excited to come back at you guys next week with more grass court action leading up in our road to what? The most prestigious slam on the calendar, Wimbledon. Um, Archit, I'll turn yeah, it well, over cer- to you. Certainly the most mainstream <laughs> Wimbledon slam where... I mean, I'm incredibly excited. The grass is always a really fun period for me. Lands smack dab in the summer. Wimbledon finals usually on my birthday, so that's always something fun to look forward to. But you know what? I'm just I'm excited. I really am. As always, our thanks to uh, the entire CR team and uh, our super producer Daniel Westoff. I'm taking your gig this this week, Archit, um, for the editing job he does for us every single week. Um, helping us out here. Uh, we it's really week in, week out, Richard. If you're going to take my job, it doesn't do have it right. to be the same thing as what you say every time. Yes, it does. Um, yes, but it no, does. we do appreciate it. Um, and as always, we'll be back next week for more pro and college coverage. Uh, goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.